morning, church. How's everybody doing? I'm good. Is everybody doing okay? Yes. Guys, I have to say, like, that, that time of worship was awesome. It was so amazing. I loved it. Okay. So my name, uh, my name is Blaze Smith, and um, I'm the high school youth pastor here at Brookside. And um, if, you're, if you're a guest with us today, I just want to start off by saying we're so glad that you're here. And um, I don't say that because I have to. I say that because I want, I want to. Like, I want you to know that we're so glad that you are with us and you've joined us for service this morning. Um, but just a little bit about myself before we uh, jump in this morning. Um, so I've been growing to Brookside uh, since I was 12, which means like 13 years, which is crazy to me. And we, uh, my family moved here uh, when I was going into seventh grade, and uh, I, I remember like coming to Brookside because my family lived like just a few minutes away. So we came to Brookside, and I remember being outside of, of the old tribe room and being scared out of my mind to like go in there because it was like a very nerve-wracking thing, right? And, and I remember Jeff... He came out to me, and he was just so nice to me, and he brought me into the tribe room, and ever since, I have been hooked on Brookside's youth ministry. And so I, I like, went, uh, grew up through Oasis, and then uh, served in tribe for a long time, and then had the beautiful privilege of being uh, the middle school pastor, and now moving into the high school role, and I am so stinking excited. I'm so excited. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so I just, I really quickly wanted to, to give you a lens into what God is doing in the youth ministry. Um, God is doing so much, and it, it is so, it's so awesome to see. Uh, we took a, a trip for the middle school mission trip. We took a trip down to Jackson, Mississippi. Um, here's a picture of them. They're just a really, really good-looking group. There's 23 students and seven adults, um, and, and we took them down there. Uh, and really what we did was we, we worked with uh, the inner city. So we, we got to do a lot of landscaping, a lot of yard work. Uh, we put on a VBS camp for, for kids just in this random park. And uh, then we got to work with InterVarsity, which is a college ministry. And, and we got to help this guy uh, renovate his house. So we got to take some sledgehammers to some walls. And it was just a super, super fun time. Um, and, and God was doing a lot through that. Um, but on our way back, our way back, um, something just really, really awesome happened. So we, we, on our way back, we took it in two days. Um, so we stopped in Springfield, Missouri, and we stayed at a church there, a fairly large church, and, uh, which was super awesome. And, and when we pulled up, I rolled down, to the win rolled down the window to the guy who was going to hand us the keys to let us in, and he's like, I'm so sorry, but the power is completely out. <laughs> like, we have no power. And so inside, I'm kind of thinking, Awesome. Like we have 23 middle school students that are going to be running around in a church where there's no lights. Something is going to, something terrible is going to happen, right? And so inside I'm kind of freaking out, but I also thought, you know, this might be fun. So um, we, we go into the church and, and the kids, they start playing basketball and they, they're playing card games. And, and then I start to notice, um, like students just start to disappear, like, they just start to leave. And I don't know if you know this, but my number one job as a youth pastor is to not lose any students, right? Like, that's my, that's my number, that's my job description. Don't lose any students. So, so I'm kind of freaking out. So then I think to myself, okay, I need to find my second in command, which is Hunter McNeil. And I realize he's nowhere to be found. I'm like, where is everybody going, right? 
And, and so I think about Hunter, and I'm like, okay, he, he's a person that really enjoys going to the sanctuary, and he just plays the piano. And, and so I, I walk towards the sanctuary, and I hear the piano playing, and then I walk up into the balcony, and um, I walk in, and, and there are students there that are, are listening to Hunter play, and they are just praying together. And, and there, there's no leader there. It's just unprompted, Right? And so I, I walk in, and, and I'm kind of sitting there, and I'm praying with them and, and, and just praying on my own. And then they, they start to go down towards Hunter, and they sit, like, at his feet and sit at the, the feet of the piano, and, um, and they, they just keep praying. And they're, they're in a big group now, and they're, and they're praying just super powerful words of encouragement to one another. And then um, I'm kind of just standing off to the side observing this, and, um, like, I, I hear one of the eighth grade boys, he, he says, let's go pray for Blaze. So as a group, they come over and they lay their hands on me. And uh, they, just, they just pray these powerful prayers. And they knew that I was moving from middle school to high school. And, and so they prayed for me in that transition. And, like, by the, time, by the end of, of their prayers, I'm just, like, sobbing, right? I'm crying. And, and then they leave me and they go over to Hunter and they start praying for him. And, um, and then they, they stop praying for him, and um, then they go pray by themselves again, like as a group. And, and I will never forget one of the eighth grade girls. She just kept saying over and over in her prayer, she kept saying, Jesus, you died for me. Jesus, you died for me. Jesus, you died for me. She kept saying it over and over, and everyone is like crying, right? And so, like, we kind of finish those prayers, and then, and then they kind of break off. And, and I'm thinking, like, Remember, the lights are completely off, right? I'm thinking, like, I have no idea what time it is. It could be 1 o'clock in the morning. So I ask one of my leaders, and it's like midnight, so I'm thinking, okay, we have an early morning, so we need to, to get up, and, and so we need to go to bed, right? And um, so I, I, t I go over to Hunter, and I say, hey, we need, we need to end, and unfortunately, and I asked him, because he, he records when he plays the piano, and so I asked him, I was like, how long have we been doing this for? And he's like, we have been going at this for three hours. Isn't that crazy? Like students, unprompted middle school students who have the rap of not being able to pay attention for longer than five minutes, right? They, they encountered God. They were praying to God for three hours. It was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. And I tell you that story because I want to, to just tell you that God is moving in the hearts of our youth. Like, they are experiencing the real God of the universe. It's not just something that they're reading about. It's not just something that they're hearing somebody talk about. They are experiencing God. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I, I want to thank you as a church, just, just for me as I've grown up in Brookside, I want to thank you just as a church for supporting the next generation and supporting our youth it made, it made all the difference in my life, and it is continuing to make a huge impact on the lives that are of our students that are, that are going to be leaders someday. So I just, I wanted to encourage you with that and, and to thank you. Um, so we've been in this series um, called Summer at Brookside, and last week Jeff took us through Psalm 23, and really what we're doing in this series is, is we're, we're looking at who God is, and who's better uh, life to look at than David, who, who went through a lot with God. He went through the highs and with the lows, and he, he experienced God on so many different levels. So we are, we're going to look at, 
at what God, uh, who God is in Psalm 16. So um, if you all would stand as we read this, I'm actually going to call Seth Holmes out to read it for us. He's uh, a boy in actually my small group, and I love him a lot, and uh, he's going to go ahead and read Psalm 16 for us. All right. Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you alone are my portion in my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will your faithful ones see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Awesome. Thanks, Seth. Can we give it up for Seth? Good job, man. You guys can be seated. Now, as we, uh, as we look at this psalm uh, this week, we're going to see that God is our greatest good. But before, before we jump in, I just want to lead us in prayer and prepare our hearts for what God has for us this morning. God, we... We are so thankful for what you're already doing in this place this morning. God, the worship this morning was, was so full of the Holy Spirit. God, it was so cool to see people experiencing you and, and singing praises to you. God, it's awesome. It's so awesome. Father, I pray that you would be with us now. God, speak through me. Anything that I say that is not from you, God, I pray that it will be forgotten. God, I pray that you speak to our hearts. It doesn't matter where we're at in life. God, you know. You know us. So speak to us where we are. God, we come humbly before you, wanting to learn from what your Bible has to say. God, we love you, and we pray these things in your name. Amen. Now, I, I love this psalm. And honestly, I had never actually read through this, so, this psalm before, the whole thing, and it has taught me so much, and I am so excited to be able to share it with you this morning. And the one thing that, that is evident in Psalm 16 is that God is our greatest good. God is the greatest good. Read with me uh, in verse 2. It says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. Now he says, he starts off, he acknowledges who he is talking to, and this is David. He acknowledges who he is talking to, and that's, that's the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, it means Yahweh. He is, he is talking to the God of the universe. He is talking to the God who is there for Jacob and Isaac and Abraham. He was there for the God, he's talking to the God of the Bible. And he says to the Lord, you are my Lord, you are my master, apart from you. I have no good thing. And maybe for you this morning, this is a brand new thought for you. Maybe you've never thought about God being your greatest good. But this, this psalm points straight, it points us straight to that thought. And I, I love it. I love it. 
Now, David, is, he is saying that there is nothing better than God. Everything in your life that is good, I, I promise you, everything in your life that is good can be traced straight back to God. Now, I was thinking about my own life and uh, all of the good things that God has blessed me with. And the first thing that came to my mind was my beautiful wife, Hannah. And uh, she, she is seriously so, she is so amazing. And, and I was thinking about just like how our relationship came about. And, and thinking of all of the steps, if you want to know the story, you can go ask her. I'm not going to, it'd be a long story. Um, but but it, all of the steps that led up to us even meeting, like God had ordained in his sovereignty, God had placed our steps like so that we could meet and then we could fall in love and, and be married and, and it is so awesome. And, and I know this for a fact. I know this for a fact. God knew that I would never have been able to get a woman like that without him. Amen? <laughs> Any other guys feel that way? Yes. Yeah, seriously, like everything in your life, if you were to think about all of the good things that you have, it comes from God. Everything. Now before... Before we can experience God as our greatest good, uh, we need to look at what David says in verse 1 and verse 8. He says, keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. And verse 8 says, I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him in my right hand, I will not be shaken. David experiences God as his greatest good because he is already experiencing him as his refuge. God is David's safe place, his place of hiding, where he goes for comfort. And because, because he has God as his refuge, he will not be shaken. Nothing that this world throws at him will shake him, not a single thing. Before we experience God, before we read through this psalm, we need, we need, to, we need to ask God to be our refuge, to be that place that we go to for comfort, because as his right hand, we, we cannot be shaken. The devil can throw whatever he wants at us, and we will not be shaken. Now, there are four things that happen when God becomes our greatest good, and they are very clear in this psalm. Um, and, I, and I'm going to throw this list up here for you. Uh, the first one is, is that we get to experience God. Uh, when we experience God as our greatest good, we abandon our idols. We stop running after the things that this world offers us, and we run straight to God. Second thing is, is what, we'll, what we'll see is that we are completely satisfied in God. He satisfies the deepest parts of our soul, our deepest longings. The third thing we'll notice is that we will desire correction. This one might be the hardest, um, but, but, but we, when we experience God as our greatest good, we will desire correction from him. And then the last one um, is we get to enjoy God forever. So let's, let's look at that first one. So we're going to start looking at in verse 4. It says, those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. Now in David's time, they would have actually been worshiping idols. They would have been worshiping these false gods. They would have been looking to these gods for provision. So then they would, they would sacrifice to these idols. Well, maybe if I, if I give them something that's of value to me, they'll bless me with something, right? They would have been worshiping gods like the god of war. Or they would have been worshiping the god of agriculture, the god of love, the god of fertility. They would have been running after all of these gods looking for provision. 
And what does David say? They suffered more and more and more and more. The more that they ran after these gods, they continued to suffer. But I want to I ask you a question. Don't we do the same thing? Don't we run after this, the things that this world offers us? I mean, when we really think about our lives, what things are we, what things are we running after? What things are you chasing? Maybe for some of you, you're running after success. Maybe, maybe it's your job, right? Everything that you do is, is in order to, to better you in your, in your field of work, right? All of your thoughts and all of your motivation is put directly into your job. Maybe for some of you, it's relationships. Maybe your idol is, is other people. You look to other people to gratify your soul, to provide for you. Maybe for some of you, it's you. This is, this is like true in my life. I, I definitely find myself looking to myself for satisfaction than God. We need to identify the things that we are running after. And now, and now these things aren't bad. A job is obviously not a bad thing. Relationships, your family, your friends, love, like those are not bad things. But when we are running after those things, when those are our, when those are our focus, and we're kind of like dragging God by a leash with us, that's a problem. And we're just going to continue to suffer and suffer and suffer. So I encourage you, instead of running after things that this world says that you should run after, run after God. Change your direction. And, and, I, don't, and I think David is very clear in why he uses the word run. It's not walk. It's not jog. It's not stand and look. It's run. Run after your God. And all of that other stuff, all, your job and your family and your friends, they're all going to run after God with you because you're bringing them with bringing them with. We must abandon our idols and run to God to experience him as our greatest good. Now, the second thing that we're looking at is, is we, when we experience God as our greatest good, we are completely satisfied. This is the one that is hitting home with me the most as I read through this psalm. This is something that God has been teaching me so much in this last year. Look at, me, look at with me verse 5 and 6. It says, Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. Now look, David was king. He was king of Israel. He was the king of God's chosen people. He inherited every single thing this world could offer him. He inherited the nicest palace, the nicest chariot, the nicest uh, servants that provided for him everything that he wanted, right? He had all of the fame. He had all of the respect. Like, David had everything that this world could offer him. But what does David say? He says, Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. In other words, God, you are the only thing. You are it. You are the only thing that can satisfy my soul. Now, there's a, there's a quote that I love. I love it. I love it. And I love C.S. Lewis. And he says that there is nothing better, or he who has God and everything else has no more than he who has God only. 
He who has God and everything else has no more than he who has God only. You could, you could have everything this world could, that offers you and not have God and have absolutely nothing. You could also have absolutely nothing, no material items, but have God and have absolutely everything. You know, I, I recently went to Africa uh, to Zambia with the Go Teams trip, me and my wife were able to go, and it was an awesome experience. If you, if you ever feel like God is calling you to go to Africa, do it. It, is, it was like one of the best experiences of my entire life. And the one thing that I noticed and the one thing that I loved about the Zambian people, especially when we went out to the bush, was that they had nothing. They maybe had two pairs of clothes. One was to wear to church, and the other one was just to wear throughout the week. And then maybe they, maybe they, had, a, they had a hut, like a, like a mud hut, right? That was all that they had, and maybe a few chickens. That's like, that's it. That's all that they had. And they would walk miles to church. They would walk miles to encounter God. And when they got there, they didn't complain about being tired. They worshiped God with everything that they had. They had experienced God to their greatest good, and it wasn't based on what God had given them or what God hadn't given them. It was based on the fact that they, that they felt completely satisfied with who God is. There is nothing that satisfies our soul more than God. So my question for you is, what things are you looking to for satisfaction? See, what happens is when, is when we look for satisfaction in other things other than God, we go from one thing, okay, that doesn't satisfy me, to the next thing, okay, that doesn't satisfy me, to the next thing, to the next thing, to the next thing, to the next thing. And we just keep going on this crazy cycle looking for satisfaction when it's, when it's like right here, you know, like God, he wants to pour himself out over you. He wants to satisfy your soul and he made you he made you with a soul that longs for him. There's nothing that satisfies our soul more than God because God is our greatest good. The third one, which I think is probably the hardest, is when we experience God as our greatest good, we desire correction. Look at what, what David says in verse 7. He says, I will praise the Lord who counsels me, who gives me advice, who corrects me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. Now, I don't know about you, but my first reaction to correction is not, yes, thank you so much. I needed that. That hit me right where I am like that. Thank you for blessing me, right? That is not, that's not my first reaction at all. In fact, my first reaction is pride. Like, you don't know my situation. You don't know what I'm going through. How could, how could you correct me? Like, that, that's not okay, right? That is my first initial reaction, especially when it comes to my golf game. If anybody tries to correct my golf game, I ain't about it, right? Like, but, but what, how does David react? He says, I will praise the Lord. And he even is wanting it at night. Like, his, he's staying up at night longing for the correction from God. Now, I think, I think David had a lot of humility, a lot of humility, because this is a hard thing to do. 
It is a hard thing to take correction when you're reading the Bible. It's hard to read it and read something that's convicting and be like, wow, like I, I really need to work on that. Or it's hard to take correction from someone that God has sent to you to show you an area that you need to work on. That is a hard thing. It's a hard thing to take correction from the Holy Spirit, right? But David, he wants it. He desires it. God, I want your correction. I want you to make me better because he knows, he knows that God has his best interest in mind. He knows that God is only correcting him because he wants to make him more like Jesus. And if we have that in our focus, if we want sanctification, if we want to be more like Jesus, we need to desire correction. And our God is good because he corrects us. Isn't that crazy to think that our God loves us enough to correct us? And you as parents, you know what this is like. You want the best for your child, even if that means you have to correct them. God is the same way. He wants to correct us, and he does it so graciously and so loving. The, the fourth thing is, is we get to enjoy God forever. When we experience God as our greatest good, we get to enjoy him forever. Verses 9 through 11, they say this. It says, therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices my body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one <clears throat> see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Eternal pleasures at your right hand. David knows, he knows without a shadow of a doubt that God is not going to let death come between him and David. He knows it. Why does he know that? Because God had promised a Messiah. This, this passage points straight to Jesus. David knew that he wasn't going to see decay. He knew that his body was not going to rot because God was going to send a Savior to save him from death. And now we're, we're on the other side of that, right? We, we have these eyewitnesses of count, accounts of, of Matthew, Mark, Mark, Luke, and John that tell us, that tell us that Jesus came and lived a perfect life and died a brutal death so that you and I don't have to be, to be abandoned to the realm of the dead. He sent Jesus to die for you and to die for me. And in verse, verse 11, that word presence actually means face. So you will fill me with joy in your face. Think about the day that you are going to see God's face. If you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, this is a promise. You will get to see the face of the Creator. You will get to see the face of the one who is there at the beginning and the one who is at, there at the end this blew my mind. Like I, people in the Old Testament died from this, right? We get to see the face of our beautiful, merciful, gracious God. And he loves, he loves us enough to allow us to be able to do that. So my question for you is, do you desire the day when you get to see God face to face? you desire that day? Is that a day that you long for? 
Because when we have that in our minds, when we, when we, when we think about the fact that we get to see our God in the face, all of our problems, everything that in life that is, that is going wrong seems just a little bit less. Because we know that one day I get to be in the presence of God. Amen? And you know what I think? I think that, that the eternal pleasures in that verse is actually being able to see God's face. I think, I think that's the eternal pleasure. For me, being able to see God's face is going to satisfy my soul for eternity. For eternity. He never runs out. His glory never runs out. Do you desire the day when you get to see God's face? I'm going to run through these with you just really quickly as we, as we close. Um, so the first one that we talked about, when God is our greatest good, we abandon our idols. And the question I asked you is, what things are you running after? What things in life are you, are you that the world is offering you, are you running to? Because they'll fall short every time. We need to change our direction, and we need to run after the God who loves us. He wants you to run after him. Second one is when, when God is our greatest good, we are completely satisfied in who he is. There's no one better. There's no one greater. There is no one that can satisfy your soul like the one who created it. He created you in a way to long for him. What are you looking to for satisfaction? The third one is we desire correction. We know that our God has our best interest in mind. We know that, that he, he wants the best for us. He wants to sanctify us. He wants us to make us more like Jesus. So what is your response to correction? Is it one of pride? Is it one of God? Like, I don't need that correction right now. I'm fine doing, where, doing what, I, what I'm doing. I'm fine where I'm at. Or is it one of humility where we are, we are desiring we don't just allow it to happen. We desire it. We desire it when we read God's word. We desire it from other people. We desire it from the Holy Spirit. And I think, I think that means we need to ask for it. Ask God to correct you. Ask God, what areas do I need work in? I promise you he will answer you. It might be hard, but he will answer you, and he will, he will love you through it. And then the last one is we get to enjoy God forever. Do you desire the day when you get to see God face to face? Is that a longing of yours? This world is so full of, of pain and suffering. We have the hope because of Jesus Christ that one day we get to see the Creator face to face. We get to look at Him. We get to be in His presence forever. Church, let's experience God as our greatest good together. Let's spur one another on to experience him because he is, he is so good. There's no one better than our God. Can I pray for us? God, we love you. God, this passage is so humbling to think that you 
You want to be with us. You want to spend time with us. You want to make us better. God, I pray that we wouldn't run after things that don't satisfy. That we wouldn't look to other things to satisfy where, where, where you are supposed to, to be our satisfaction. God, I, I pray that you would consume us with a fire that burns for you. God, we know that you will not disappoint our longings. God, we love you and, and we want to experience you now as we, as we engage you in worship, Father. And I pray these things in your precious, holy, and mighty name. Amen.